I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, after over four months with nothing to watch, we finally got a little NBA basketball on Wednesday. Okay, it was just a scrimmage, a 31-point blowout loss to the Pelicans, no less. But what did you expect from this decimated Nets squad? I mean, look at that roster. Nine guys who were infected with COVID-19, seven guys opting out of the bubble, four substitute players, three guys out for the year recovering from non-virus ailments, including Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and a partridge in a pear tree, so to speak. Folks, get used to the ugliness. But since we've been told countless times that Brooklyn is punting this season, you know, what can you do? Try to learn as much as we can about the guys that are over there and then speculate about what's next. Help me out on the show today. I got a twofer for you folks. First, I'll be catching up with Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News to get you an update on the Nets coaching search. And later on, we got the City Game Podcast returning champion, Nets fans' favorite journalist son, Mr. Anthony Puccio from NetsDaily.com, will be joining me. So, without further ado, let's get back to talking Nets basketball, all right? If, at the end, you appreciated this content, I ask that you please subscribe to the City Game Podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And feel free to post any comments you have in the appropriate Apple Podcast section. So I don't want to get too caught up with one scrimmage. You know, so many guys are just trying to get their legs back after what might have been the longest layoff without basketball in their lives. Nets were even more shorthanded on Wednesday with Joe Harris, Tyler Johnson, Jamal Crawford, Justin Anderson, and Donta Hall all sitting out. By the way, I don't know, is Hall even out of his quarantine period yet? Jeez, the Nets are small. So if you're looking to me for takeaways, forget it. You know, Rodens Karutz made a few nice plays. Who cares? I, I really don't even know what this team is doing here. As I wrote in a column on the WFAN.com site, you 
know, what is Karis LeVert doing here? I mean, for a guy who's been so brittle, you're going to put the entire team on his shoulders now? You know, whether you think he's a trade piece this offseason or the so-called third star, why risk him getting another serious injury? I don't get it. It makes no sense. What I really want to get into now is this whole idea that Jacques Vaughn can come out of this with the permanent head coaching job. I know what you're hearing, that the organization just loves Jacques Vaughn. And management is leaking that he is a real shot, you know, with a good showing in Orlando. Folks, what are they supposed to say? That they're just going to ride this thing out until the new sheriff is hired? No, they're 100% behind him and you never know. Folks, people lie. Remember KD swore up and down that he watched a video of Kenny Atkinson coaching and came away so impressed? Yeah, how long did that impression last? Yeah, when, when Kenny was let go after 62 games, then all of a sudden the leaks came out and we started getting bits of things that weren't so hunky-dory. You know, that they didn't like his system, he wasn't managing the rotation properly, that he was indecisive, etc. By the way, those that heard that KD and Kyrie are in Vaughn's corner and want him to succeed, both of them really rushed back to the court from their rehabs to help the man out. Oh wait, they didn't. So when you hear good things about Vaughn, take it with a grain of salt, okay? I refuse to believe that the organization made the coaching change they did just so they could hire a guy who went 58 and 158 in three seasons with Orlando. To coach a team with really a two-year window to win a championship. Spurs background or no Spurs background? Well, who will it be then? I don't know, but my first guest today thinks it could be someone else with a Spurs background. A really exceptional Spurs background. Yep, Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News wrote a very interesting column on Wednesday suggesting that the Nets going after Greg Popovich isn't really that far-fetched. And Stefan was gracious enough to give me some time to discuss his column, and here's the clip. I'm so grateful that I'm able to be speaking right now with the great writer from the New York Daily News, Stefan Bondi. Stefan, thank you so much. Uh, hope you're keeping safe. How, uh, how difficult has it been to be a basketball reporter in these trying times? Uh, well, thank you for that introduction. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been different. I, I don't know. I guess difficult is a good word for it as well. Um, I've learned to adapt, and I think a lot of writers covering any team, not just basketball, have, you know, not been able to do the same kind of reporting that we're used to. And, uh, you know, I've been a lot on, I've been on the phone a lot, and I think um, that's taken on a big part of my reporting is calling different people, different sources, keeping in touch with people. Um, whereas, you know, during the season or, you know, even when there's when there's press conferences and everything, you know, you have face-to-face contact and it's different. So, um, you know, it, it's been different and, uh, you know, I've learned to adapt and thankfully myself and my family are all healthy um, and, and we move forward. That's great. And the reason that I wanted in particular to have you on right now is because you wrote a very interesting article in the Daily News. You can view it on the website, subscribe keep journalism alive. Uh, You wrote about the Nets' interest or that they should have interest in Greg Popovich, uh, the Spurs' legendary coach. I wanted to ask, where did that idea originally come from? Was it any, does it it have any reporting base or was it just your idea? Yeah, I I wouldn't call it a report, but it was based on about a month ago. um, I was talking to somebody who 
who told me, you know, an NBA person who told me that they heard um, that the Nets were uh, Joe Tsai was going to make a, a big push for Popovich uh, at some point. And, you know, I called different people throughout the league. Some of them said, um, you know, they hadn't heard of something like that. One person said they, they had heard that. Um, so, you know, I, I wasn't comfortable enough to report it, but in, in thinking about the idea, actual idea of uh, Greg Popovich coming to the Nets, it made a lot of sense uh, for both sides, actually. Uh, and I dived into that uh, in, in the article why somebody who has the experience and cachet of Popovich would be a great fit for the Nets uh, because right now they need somebody who can command the respect of star players. And I think Popovich fits that mold. And on the flip side, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend to know whether Popovich will or, or, or won't ever leave San Antonio or if he's going to retire or whatever the case may be, but it would make sense for him to move to a, uh, a win-now situation considering where he is in his career. Now, from my understanding of his contract, he does seem to have at least another year. I think it was a three-year extension he signed a year or two ago. Uh, do you think that, A, the Spurs will let him go to the Nets? After all, they, I, I don't. they may be happy for Sean Marks, but... I don't know that they were so excited to lose a guy they valued, uh, and now they, you know, to lose Popovich to the Nets when he's under contract. You think they would want compensation? Well, I'm not sure, but I do think that, given the uh, history there, given the um, everything that Greg Popovich has meant to that franchise and to the ownership group, that they, if he ever came to them and said, "Listen, I'd like to go somewhere else," I would hope. Uh, that they would honor that uh, because of so because of everything he's done for them. They've been together for over 20 years, well over 20 years. So uh, I don't know, but I would hope that, that if Greg Popovich ever came to the whole family and said, listen, you know, thank you for everything. You know, we had a great run here, but I, I do want to try something different. They wouldn't stand in his way. Now, obviously, the coaching search is on hold because the Nets are still playing, but you didn't mention an, another name, and he happens to be my personal favorite, uh, Tyron Liu, have you heard anything about his interest, the Nets' interest, you know, in, in background talks? Uh, I, I'm not sure about the Nets' interest, but I, I did hear and I reported um, a while back now um, that he does have interest in coaching the Nets and, um, you know, returning and reuniting with Kyrie Irving despite uh, whatever problems they may have, may have had in Cleveland. Now, you know, that was a while ago when I reported that, that and since then I've heard different things, including that um, – you know, he, he'd also like to coach at a place like Philadelphia, and, may, and maybe Tyron Lue has options. Uh, we got to see how this whole summer shakes out. Interestingly, uh, we see now that it looks like Chicago is going to keep their coach. Um, so that was one opening that people were anticipating that won't be there. Um, so we, we still have a ways to go to, to see what jobs are going to be open um, and, and how uh, the Nets fit on the list of desirable destinations for somebody like Ty Lue. But I, I do think he would be a uh, good fit with the Nets, certainly given, you know, his ability to uh, relate to uh, star players. He certainly showed that with LeBron James. And he, he showed, you know, in that final, that 2016, 2016 finals, that he's a good tactician as well, a really good tactician. Um, I thought he outcoached Steve Kerr in that series. So, and and uh, Brad Stevens before that, too. Yeah, yeah. He did a really good job that whole run. Um, and I think it's kind of underrated, and I don't know why, but – uh, I think he'd be a good fit in, in Brooklyn for sure. And he's mended fences with Kyrie. I mean, there, people are always speculating that, you know, Kyrie was, you know, and him had a little bit of an issue. 
Yeah, I, I don't know the backstory behind everything, but I've, I've read the same things you have there, and I think he's a good uh, relations guy. He's he found that difficult balance with star players where, you know, you, you, you're able to coach them um, and, and show them that your way is the best way while also not ticking them off. Um, and, and that's a diff- difficult balance with star players, especially today's star players. agree with you 100%. I'm talking with Stefan Bondi of the Daily News. Uh, I want to ask you a general question about the way these coaching vacancies are being filled. Uh, I think we're seeing it. You're covering the Knicks, so you probably see this as well, that general managers are, are becoming more and more power-hungry, and they want to pick assistance for head coaches. Uh, there's a rumor that the Knicks uh, new coach will have their assistant named uh, as one of the runner-ups in the interview process. Do you think the Nets are, are like that? Is Sean Marks going to be scared of losing power in a Tyrone lose situation and, you know, try to force an assistant on him? Well, I, I don't know, but I hope not. Um, and I know the Knicks situation, uh, currently, they, they are going to try to get either Mike Woodson or Mike Miller an assistant job under whomever they hire, whether it's, um, well, it's probably going to be Tom Thibodeau, but also Kenny Atkinson is still in the mix there. Um, but, uh, you know, it just for me, it just doesn't make sense for a GM to start picking um, assistant coaches. I saw previously with the Knicks um, when they when they when Phil Jackson picked the assistant coaches for Derek Fisher, at least some of the assistant coaches, and it really didn't work out. It, it ended up being two factions: Phil's guys and Derek's guys, um, and it led to a lot of friction. I mean, to me, it, it doesn't make sense for the the GM should be should be picking the roster, and the coach should be coaching the team, and that that's where the separation should end. Now, sometimes it works out, like in LA right now. Uh, with the Lakers, um, you know, I think they though that group picked Jason Kidd and Lionel Hollins to work under Frank Vogel. Now, everything helps when you have a guy like LeBron James, but it seems like there hasn't been a lot of the issues that I thought were going to arise. Do you really think Vogel wanted Kidd next to him? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, all right. Well, yeah, but but you get you, you see the point. Is sometimes it might work out. Okay, uh, I just got a couple more for you, Stefan. Uh, Jacques Vaughn. It's going to finish out the the season in the bubble. There, there's no chance that the Nets fired Atkinson just so Jock Vaughn could coach this team in a two-year championship window, right? I, I don't see that. And, listen, I, I, I've read a lot of the same things that, that, you know, that he's getting a real shot here. And I've even saw that people are labeling him as the front runner. Um, to me, listen, I, I, people have told me that, too, that he's, he's in the mix. But to me, I, I just don't – I, would, I don't see it, and I don't understand it, because you have a guy, listen, I, I have nothing against Jacques Vaughn. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. I don't know him at all, but his record as a head coach is not good. I mean, he had a, a very difficult time in Orlando, and you're talking about moving forward with the Nets, a team that really has a two-year window, and that's it. I mean, you don't have time to uh, learn on the job or get adjusted. You know, you, you want experienced successful head coaches in, the, in that position. And, I, and when I go back and I covered the Nets when they hired Jason Kidd for that win now Kevin Garnett team, and that back then that hire didn't make sense to me either uh, yeah. because you are hiring a rookie head coach who has to learn on the job, but you're, you know, your players are in their 30s, you know, in some cases in their upper 30s, so you're in a, you're in a win now position. You, you need a coach with experience, and that's why to me, uh, it doesn't make sense to hire Jacques Vaughn, a guy who, who might have experience, but the experience has not been good. 
I agree with you 100% on this one, Stefan. I have 100 other questions I'd like to ask you, but I'll just leave you on this one. What, you know, what are the Nets really doing in Orlando? I mean, but more specifically, what is Karis LeVert doing in Orlando? There's, there's no good that could come from him playing. I, listen, I, I get I think it's good, uh, and it shows something positive for, for a guy like Harris LeVert to be out there to want to play basketball. I, I understand why a lot of these Nets players didn't want to go. I completely get it, and a lot of it was COVID-related. Um, but it was disappointing. The whole theme of it for the Brooklyn Nets is disappointing because I think they um, should have given it an earnest effort. I, I think that you know this is the playoffs. It's still the NBA. Um, and they should, you know, they, they could have really put together a run if they really decided to go all in. I mean, like you take a guy, um, what's it, the guy in, in uh, Indiana, what's his name? Oladipo. 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 You take a guy like Oladipo, right? He wasn't going to play. But then he said, you know what, I'm still going to travel with the team to Orlando and see how I feel, go through a couple practices. I thought that that would have been the good approach for somebody like Kevin Durant. Because, <laughs> I, yes. you know, I understand why he didn't do it. I understand. But my personal preference would have been for him to take an approach like that, to say, you know what, I might not feel good right now, but or, or I feel good right now, I'm not sure I want to play. Let me give it a couple practices. Let me go through uh, maybe, you know, five minutes in a preseason game and see, see how I feel. Uh, but, you know, they decided not to do that, and I understand why I'm just disappointed. I couldn't say it better myself. Stefan Bondi, New York Daily News, thank you again so much. Stay safe. And one day, I'll see you back at Barclays Center. Yeah, hopefully so. All right, thank you again, Stefan. Thanks again to Stefan Bondi of the Daily News. Very good basketball reporter. I know a lot of you Nets fans out there aren't big fans of his work. Probably because he spends a lot of time on the Knicks. But I can tell you from firsthand experience uh, that his lines of questioning with players and coaches, I can tell you that he isn't afraid to pull punches. Maybe better than anyone on the beat. So, yeah, you, you can see why I can relate to him. And I happen to agree with just about everything he said. But, of course, there's a host of reasons to be skeptical of his main take. You know, from Popovich's contract situation to his love of the Spurs organization and Tim Duncan specifically. And let me just be the first to add this. Even if the Nets could swing this... Would Popovich really be coming here to put in the work necessary, you know, to help the Nets win a championship banner? Or would it be a Phil Jackson as Knicks president deal? You know, an opportunity for Pop to take in New York City's fine dining and drinking establishments, regale the media with his geopolitical stances, and rake in a hefty barrel of cash while he's at it? You know, he is 71 years old. I know he's not staying up late watching game film or bodying up his players on practice courts anymore. That's why I still think Tyron Lou has to be plan A for Brooklyn. Anyway, you know the Nets' coaching drama promises to be a fascinating storyline this offseason. I mentioned this in the Bondi interview, but it will be fascinating to follow the political aspects of it. You know, this whole thing with GMs asserting power over coaching staffs, making them take on assistance... I'm learning more and more how commonplace this is in the NBA. I think even a guy like Tom Thibodeau has earned the right to hire all his assistants. Not necessarily, if you believe the latest reports. It's, it's hard to believe, but certain GMs have different agendas other than winning. 
And based on what I'm hearing with the Knicks, it could be about doing right by former clients. With Marks, it could be just about power and maintaining control. I could see him trying to force assistance on his next coach's staffs. You know, it's my understanding that he made Atkinson take Vaughn, for instance. He may do that again. You know, these things will likely be part of the negotiations, and it could impact whether Brooklyn gets the right man for the job. In the end, though, you know, I think Joseph Sy, the owner, he'll have final say on these matters. But who's he listening to? Marks? The players? His business right-hand man? We'll see. So let's move now to issues on the court. I know everyone wants me to talk about adding players from the outside, but you know we have plenty of time for that. I have a feeling that the Nets won't be long for this tournament. So let's talk about the guys who are currently on the roster and whether they deserve to stay here for next season when the priorities have to change. You know, development is great, and it's fine to save one or two roster spots for that, but you can't expect to win if your depth forces you to give playing time to guys who can't play. Injuries are going to happen. But when they do, are you playing the Zan and Mooses, the Theo Pinsons, and the Timothy Luau Cabarros? Are you keeping guys like Jamal Crawford and Michael Beasley? Flawed players, yes, but they have at least one NBA skill. So to talk more about that, let's bring in the journalist who probably knows these guys better than anyone, my good friend Anthony Puccio of NetsDaily.com. Here's my chat with Anthony. Joining me now, you know him as the king of all Nets social media, columns on NetsDaily.com and other outlets, Periscopes. He's got his own podcast now on Patreon, too. All that. But I'm most proud to know him as my friend for the last eight years or so. Mr. Anthony Puccio is back. Anthony, thanks again for joining me on the City Game Podcast. Been staying safe. Yes, sir, Steve. And thanks so much for having me on. Well, Pooch, at least we have Nets basketball back in our lives, right? But, you know, after watching last night, you want to throw it back? I mean, I, you didn't take anything positive out of that, right? No, I mean, you know, you take a scrimmage with a grain of salt. I guess Karuk's looked somewhat okay besides the four turnovers, but really. I knew you were going to go there. Yeah, he made like five or six really nice plays. But then you could also point to, like you said, the turnovers or the bad defense playing out of position, not his fault sometimes. But again, yeah. there, there was nothing good that is coming if this, you know, for, for the whole eight games, in my opinion. Do you have anything? And what can they accomplish, really? You know, I, I've been saying this the whole time. I, I think this is just an evaluation period for them. And I think everybody knows that at this point. Um it seemed that way from day one of the regular season back in October. And now going into Orlando, where you have eight guys sitting and really just an expansion team here. These guys, I think they should start wearing name tags because they don't even <laughs> – they have so many unfamiliar faces. I don't – they're not going to get their lottery pick and they're not going to win the championship. So at this point, I think you just have to look at guys like Karis LeVert, see if he could be that third star around KD and Kyrie. You look at guys like, yeah, Jamal Crawford and, and even a Tyler Johnson and see if, if maybe they'll have a place on this team next year because these are the type of guys that that do flock with superstars to championship teams, these veteran type of players. Uh, I felt that way about Michael Beasley. 
especially considering his relationship with Kevin Durant. I know that he tested positive for COVID late and, and was a late scratch for the tournament, but I do feel like a lot of Sean Marks' moves this uh, this summer for the Orlando bubble was more just to evaluate what they have going forward. And that goes for Jared Allen. That goes for Rodion's Karuch. That goes for Joe Harris as well. Uh, you know, can these guys be the surrounding cast around KD and Kyrie? Well, that's part of the reason why, well, probably the biggest reason why I wanted to have you on today, Anthony, because you know the guys on this roster probably better than anyone. So I wanted to pick your brain about some of them and how they fit going forward in your estimation, you know, with that plan to surround KD and Kyrie. But, you know, before we go there, I, I want to ask you a general question. You know, are you in favor of the Nets allocating fewer roster slots going forward to, you know, to the so-called development projects? Like, you can't expect to survive injuries if you're trotting out Theo Pinson, TLC, Zanon Musa, etc., you know, if those guys are your 11th and 12th guys, you know, would you rather see those slots go to, you know, the players you named, but maybe not even them specifically, like Jamal Crawford or Michael Beasley? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think, you know, the Nets are, for the first three years, it was acceptable because they were looking for diamonds in the rough and, and talent that they could get any way possible. But now they're in a position where they're, they're competing for a championship, and their window is, is shutting only because KD and Kyrie have two years until their player options are up. So you can't really use this time to prioritize development. I, I believe that there is certainly always room for development in a winning culture, but you know, with, with only so many spots on the team and, and how important depth is come playoff time, and not to mention, yeah, your two best players are coming off major surgeries, so you have to have insurance for these guys coming off the bench and things like that. I don't think there is room for all these spots to develop, you know, four or five said Theo Pinson types, John Amusa types. At some point, you have to kind of just... Put, cut put, cut yeah, bait, maybe? Cut yeah, bait? cut bait, and, and it doesn't hurt. Maybe you have one or two young guys at the end of the bench and try and develop them. But again, we're at a development stage here. The Nets are the Nets are chasing a championship. There is no time to waste on on just prioritizing development because that's what we heard the first three years, and that's when they were really in the gutter of the NBA. Now that's not the case. So they have to make sure that they fill this roster and that it's a deep roster if they want any chance of winning a championship. Because if they just waste their time on developing younger players. To me, it's just a waste of time, and, and probably in, in the eyes of the superstars, they're probably thinking the same thing. Well, I'm glad that we got that straight. So now let's go back to the original premise and start with the biggest name, and that's Karis LeVert. I've been on the record about this, you know, and I'm sure you have too, that you don't deny LeVert's talent, especially with the ball in his hands. But I do wonder if he's the right fit, since he's not what you'd call a great finisher, you know, with the streaky shooting and all that. So where do you come down on whether Karras could be the third star for this team next to KD and Kyrie? And if not, is his 16 million cap hit next season better served as a trade piece? You know, I, I it's so hard with Karras LeVert because he's so inconsistent. And it seems like it always takes him a while. It takes him, you know, five, six, whatever it might be, a handful of games to, to start showing what he really is capable of doing. With that being said, you know, a lot of the focus has been on him when, you know, when guys go down and things like that, and he's basically the number one or number two option. And he does not really thrive 
well in that situation, just because, like I said, his inconsistencies show. Um, around KD and Kyrie, you know, being that third option, fourth option, if you consider him with Spencer Dinwiddie as well, the 3A, 3B, I do believe that it could work. You know, we saw what he is capable of doing, you know, at the end of uh, for all of February and the early uh, stint in March, you know, where he dropped 51 points against the Celtics. Uh, you know, we, we know what he's capable of doing, but it, you can't afford to to risk this time, like we mentioned before, this short window that the Nets do have and, and put all our marbles into somebody that has shown, yeah, one, it's hard for him to stay healthy, and two, it's hard for him to stay consistent. So I, I believe that he has the talent to be the third star on this team, but he has to show that he's he's more consistent. And last night, I know it's only a scrimmage. I don't. I throw throw that in the toilet. Flush yeah, it. Yeah, uh, you take it with a grain of salt. But it, it it is again the ball is in his hands and he's shooting five of eighteen. You know, it, again, it is what it is. I'm not trying to overreact, but um, you know, I, I think this this bubble, this Orlando situation, is going to be big for him just because just just for him to show that yeah, he he could he can be the best player on the floor. Now show it. All right. Well, let's um, let's move on to the player you mentioned that always gets mentioned with him, and that's Spencer Dinwiddie. He's probably the most polarizing figure on this team. Yeah. You know, raw number, raw numbers. You know, having the ball in his hands. You know, he's given Brooklyn great value, efficiency-wise, eh, not that great. So going forward, I, I think he's the most likely of the players to be dealt. My hunch says you're in favor of keeping him based on what you've just said, but you know. You can't keep all these guys. You can't have that much cap space allocated to guards. Got to balance it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, my thing is just, again, uh, if, if you have an offer that you can't refuse for these guys, I think you obviously have to take it if you're Sean Marks. But, you know, what that luxury that you have of Spencer Dinwiddie being that sixth man, being that Lou Will type of player playing behind Kyrie Irving, you know, I, I think for the Nets that's, that's absolutely a luxury, and and again, given Kyrie Irving's injury history, I, I I can't reiterate this point enough. To have somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie, if if Kyrie gets hurt again, to have somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie step into the starting lineup and show, you know, that he's capable of being a starter in this league and and, and a starter on a good team. You know, he averaged twenty four and six when he did start games this season. So yeah, that was know, a bad team though. That was a bad team when he started. Yeah, I mean. At least average when he was in there because they were better without Kyrie Irving in the lineup. I mean, not the record shows that they were better without Kyrie Irving in the lineup anyway. But um, I, I'm with you. I think there are too many ball handlers on this team. I think that with Kyrie, Spencer, and Karras, you have three ISO heavy guys that need the ball in their hands. They really do not thrive off the ball as we've seen. So. You know, part of me is like you you, you got to hold on to these guys and hold on to the foundation. You have somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie, who is a, a great sixth man, one of the best in the NBA. But at the same time, there's part of me that's that's right with you saying there are so many ball handlers, ball dominant players on this team that, you know, at, at some point, again, you're going to have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving coming back. You know, how are Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert? How are they going to fare off the ball? And I'm not exactly sure how that's going to go because, again, I think they need the ball in their hands to be successful. I'm talking Nets basketball with Anthony Puccio, terrific young writer for NetsDaily.com, among others. Uh, Anthony, uh, next man up is Jared Allen. I know he's still young. I know he's still building his body. 
But the questions that were whispered at the draft, you know, the intangible stuff, does that still worry you? Again, knowing the Nets timeline, it's likely a two-year window. You know, what would you think of including him in a trade this offseason, you know, before they need to extend him and then giving his backup role to Nick Claxton and maybe adding another center on a vet, vet minimum? Well, I certainly think he's he's more expendable now with the way they think of Nick Claxton. You know, you know, KD loves him. Sean Marks loves him. From the small sample size that we saw, Nick Claxton was was very tenacious out there. He, he looked very, very good for a rookie. So I believe that makes Jared Allen a lot more expendable going forward. Despite him, you know, look, he, he's, he's played well. He's averaging a double-double uh, at 22 years old. But... You know, you mentioned things on draft night, you know, people saying that his love for the game and things like that, him being so laid back. Um, I think I don't I don't question his love for the game. I just think that Jared Allen is the type of player that will be like is the type of personality that's fine without the game. And when you tie those things together, you ask yourself, is this a championship player is this somebody with a championship mentality is he too nice yeah he's a nice guy with us is he too nice on the court yeah and that that's that's what i'm saying it feels it kind of feels that way again he's very young but at the same time you're not going to just change somebody's personality um again i i think he's i think he's good for this team but you know in a starter's role or in a, a significant role i'm i'm still i'm with you i'm not 100 percent sure because i don't really know i don't really know how uh how hungry he is how how badly he wants it Uh, until i see him starting to get bulked up and and angry on the court and, and showing that he can be the best big man on the floor i'm still very much in the middle about jared allen i think very highly of him for his age but again like you said given the the circumstances that he's 22 and the nets are only have a two-year window right now you know we spoke about this earlier development cannot be prioritized right now it has to be about winning a championship so uh i'm not i'm not entirely sold on him being that championship center for this next team i I can't disagree with you uh last player i want to talk about with you and that's uh joe harris and let's say some team offers harris 20 to 25 million a year for four years in free agency, maybe like an Otto Porter type deal. You never know what could happen. So, you know, even with the finances shaken by the pandemic, all it takes is one Sean Marks who wrecks the market, right? Remember back a few years ago with Tyler Johnson and Alan Crabb. So what would the Nets do in that situation? I think, I think if his number goes above 20, I I don't see how they're going to keep him. I think if if you're talking maybe 16 to 18 mil a year, I think they'll do everything they possibly can to keep him. I think he obviously wants to stay here. He wants to finish what he started here in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, last last contract he took a discount uh, to stay with the Nets, to stay with the team that gave him the opportunity, and most importantly, stay with Kenny Atkinson. But Kenny Atkinson isn't even here anymore. You know, the culture and everything has completely shifted. So I think Joe Harris wants to be back. I think the Nets obviously want him back, and I think they – kind of need him they need they need three-point shooting on this team you know they take 35 43s a game and they they just you know they're 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 not hitting any of them (laughs) they're they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the nba this year so i i I really don't if, if a team throws 
with the bank at him and throws 20, 25 million at him, I don't see Joe Harris coming back next year. I think he's going to take his money and run. All right, play a little chess with me then, because you know Joe Harris uh, obviously is going to be valued in this market. There's not a lot of top free agents there. This is pre-pandemic, the trade yeah. deadline, so nobody knew that the finances, you know, would be this disturbed. So Joe Harris is going to be a pending free agent. He's he could command a, a hefty salary. Why didn't the Nets look to trade him? Why wasn't even they're even thinking about it, considering, you know, they knew then that Durant wasn't coming back. Kyrie, I think, had his sh- shoulder surgery around the time of the trade deadline, but he was hurting. He wasn't. He wasn't back. Yeah. So why was? Wouldn't isn't that a little bit of roster mismanagement on Marx's part if they didn't do that? I guess the only way I can answer that is if he doesn't come back. If 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 they don't find a way, well, to you make- just said that he if if he's if you know he could be too expensive, and there's no telling, there's no way for them to know what uh, what the top bid is going to be. But they had to know that it was possible that you know Otto Porter wasn't worth twenty five million dollars a year, but right. someone gave him that offer. Um, you know uh, that again, I I don't know because if if. If he doesn't come back, then I could absolutely say, yeah, it was irresponsible on Sean March's part. But maybe they know something that we don't know. You know, Joe Sia has even tweeted before that he wants Joe Joe Harris coming back. So okay, maybe they will. Maybe they will dip into that area. I just I don't see them throwing more than twenty million dollars a year at him, paying him more than paying him more than Karis LeVert got, paying him more than what Spencer Dinwiddie got. Um, I know they value him very much so, but. Uh, is he worth more than $20 million a year in the eyes of the Nets? I, I can't see that. You know, uh, in the eyes of the Knicks, where maybe Kenny Atkinson will be coaching, I could see him doing something like that. But the Nets, oh. given their circumstances, I'm not 100% sure about that. All right. We're going to get into coaches in a second. But just for the record, you know, people talked about Atkinson being a great development guy. You know yeah. what, what? What do you think Tom Thibodeau was? Do you ever anyone ever hear of Jimmy Butler? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody just thinks of Tibbs and and, and thinks of uh, the way he's worn guys out and and really run them into the ground. I know Jimmy Butler was uh, his claim to fame right now, but you know both that Bulls team and even that Wolves team kind of turned on him. Everybody, uh, excluding can, Jimmy Butler. We could we could talk about the Wolves another time, but so I'm going to get me to get you out of here. Uh, I appreciate this so much, Anthony Puccio of NetsDaily.com. Last question. I'm sure you saw Stefan Bondi's column on Greg Popovich. And, you know, can you shed any light from your reporting as to whether that's even possible? And, you know, give me your own plan A, B, and C. You know how the Nets, plan A, plan B, plan C. What's that for you, the Nets, for the Nets next coach? Steve, I have not heard a single word on Greg Popovich. And I really, really don't think it's going to happen. That's that's first and foremost. From what I know, from my knowledge, I have not heard a single word about Greg Popovich. I have, however, heard that, yes, Jacques Vaughn has a legitimate shot at this job. Yes, Jacques Vaughn is one of the front runners. I also have heard Ty Lue's name come up. So you look at those two guys, somebody like Phil Handy, who has a very close relationship with Kyrie, uh, if, if he's not a head coach, Perhaps the Nets will bring him in as an assistant coach. But I think right now for me, as you know, just 
from the outside looking in here, I, I think that if Jacques Vaughn has a good play uh, rapport with these players and the Nets are able to retain their what players, uh, he's got Levert. He's got, he's got Karras. The guys from last year, I mean, I do, I know Kyrie does like him. I don't know how much, <laughs> but you know, I'm saying if, if he could develop a relationship with these guys or if, if he has developed a relationship with these guys over the past year, then I uh, think that it would be wise to keep him because whoever KD and Kyrie are going to bring in, they're going to they're gonna do whatever they want anyway, whether it's Ty Lue or whether it's, whether it's Jacques Vaughn. I think it's important for the Nets to keep some of their assistant coaching staff so that they can keep whatever is left from the, from the past culture. Whatever, whatever it is that's left, that identity, the blue-collar stuff, whether you want to believe it or not, whether you think it's garbage or not, I think, I think it's still very important to have that because when KD and Kyrie are gone, if they're gone in two, three years, uh, at least you'll still have continuity and, and – Again, an identity within the coaching staff that could help whoever is next that's that's coming to Brooklyn or will be here in the future. So your plan A should be Jacques Vaughn if you were running the team? If KD and Ky- I think if KD and Kyrie are cool with that, yeah, because I think no matter who or what they want, they're going to get it. So A guy who was 100 games under 500 in three years? I'm not, only saying, head I'm not saying that's who they want, but... but but if they're okay with him, you know, again, I, I just think whoever they bring in, whether it's him or Ty Lue, they're going to run things the way they want. You know, look at look at what happened before the season ended. DeAndre Jordan was upset that he wasn't starting. The first thing that Jacques Vaughn did was to start DeAndre Jordan. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I understand. I just – I think what the Nets have to worry about uh, or – Nets fans have to worry about is who's in charge, who is the owner listening to. So if it's Sean Marks, yeah, I think maybe Jacques Vaughn could be boosted, but I think if the players want to, you know, tell him that they want to win, and they, you know, Jacques Vaughn hasn't proven that he can win. Tyron Lue has. I think Tyron Lue has to be the guy. If look, if if it's coming down to KD and Kyrie's decision, I think I think. And yeah, I think Ty Lue is going to be the guy. Uh, well, no, no problem. I, 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 we've gotten uh, 21 minutes, Poot. That's more than I could ever ask from you. I know you're a busy guy, but I do wish you the best of luck in following your dreams. And I, you know, I so hope we can connect in person, you know, back at Barclays Center, you know, next season. Uh, I thank you so, so much for doing this with me. No, Steve, thanks so much for having me on. And I mean, you know, I hope you and your family stay well. And hopefully, you know, like you said, we could be back at a game talking shop and talking talking hoops like we're so used to doing. You know, I miss your buddy. And, and again, thank you for having me on. Again, that was Anthony Puccio of NetsDaily.com and other media adventures, including Periscopes and podcasts. His work as a leading authority on all matters Nets. Makes him omnipresent. But that's why I try to give you Nets fans each episode of the City Game Podcast. Best experts out there. I think with Pooch and Stefan Bondi, you got your money's worth today. Thanks again so much to both reporters. If you also happen to appreciate today's content, I again ask that you please subscribe, 
Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using right now. And feel free to post any comments you may have in the appropriate Apple Podcast section. I'll be uh, recording again next week. Should be something along the lines of a preview show before the eight-game regular season. I'll try to secure another special guest and maybe even bring back the listener mailbag segment. Sounds like a plan. In the meantime, stay safe, wear a mask when you're around people, and just be nice in general. Use a lot more of that in these troubled times. So, until next week, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.